tēnā koutou. You're listening to a co-education podcast, pushing the boundaries of educational possibilities. Kia ora koutou. Ko Rochelle toko ingwa. My name's Rochelle and I'm part of the learning experience team at Core Education. I'm here today with Derek Winmoth to discuss hybrid learning. Kia ora, Derek. Uh, kia ora, Rochelle. Great to be with you. Thanks for being here because hybrid learning is something that you've been discussing and advocating for and aware that it's something that teachers, schools uh, will need to have discussions about and think about for their students in the current environment in which we find ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been something that's interested me, I'd have to say, for a very long time. But I think, as you say, the current circumstances are forcing the issue, forcing the conversation. So it's good. Great. And on that note, why don't we start off with you explaining hybrid learning and how it can help schools facing disruption? Yeah, thanks, Rochelle. The word hybrid, you know, like blended and like distance and online, these all go around. And people are asking, what's the difference? Well, to me... I think the significant reason for use of the word hybrid is simply if you take from biological terms, you know, hybrid is two independent organisms that are somehow merged together and they become a new organism, but the characteristics of each of those others is still observable and so forth. And so in a, in a way, it's, a, it's an appropriate term, I think, to use here where we're saying, well, okay, what happens when we are really confronted with a situation where we have to think of learners and teachers and the teaching and learning quite independent of the location in which that's happening. Because with with the structure of schools and schooling at the moment and the implications of self-isolation and all these sort of things happening at the moment, we're going to face, at least for the next few months, if not the next few years, an ongoing process where we, in a very unpredictable way, will have some students at school, some at home. Uh, We'll have some staff at school, some at home. And there'll be no pattern or rhyme or reason about when that transfer occurs. So what we're looking for really is how do we address the issue of making learning and participation in learning accessible and, and available at any time, any place where it's not determined by the physical location, if that makes sense. We, we can explore that further, I'm sure. Great. In its essence, hybrid learning helps to ensure no matter where the student, where the teacher is, the learning can still occur for everyone. And, and I guess the important thing there, I mean, if you think about the lockdowns that we experienced last year and the year before, Although that was very disruptive and it caused a a great deal of consternation for many educators and schools and there were many issues to overcome, they were relatively straightforward because we had a binary choice. You were either in school or you were at home. And it's it's the simultaneous nature of that experience that we're going to have to grapple with. And we've got a whole whole range of responses that some have made. Some have jumped immediately to the conclusion, and we've got examples happening internationally, uh, although I'd have to say they haven't been very successful, of where we've had cameras set up in rooms so that teachers are teaching the kids in the, cl- in the classroom, and the kids who are at home are having to sit and listen to that as if they're in the classroom. Now, 
I've got a problem with that as an interpretation of hybrid for a number of reasons, not least of which is the fact that it, it brings into question the pedagogical approach that's being used. It's still got the, cent- the teacher at the centre of everything that's happening, and it's just putting a huge weight of responsibility on their shoulders to somehow deal with the kids in the class, deal with the kids at home, deal with the transmission of the content that they want. So I think our understanding has to evolve way beyond that. And also, from your description, that's not hybrid. That's actually that the in-person is dominant and the at-home is other. Would you say that's accurate? I think that's a good way of, of kind of coming at it. To me, I guess the essence of really good hybrid learning is what we're doing is we're, we're making everything about the teaching and learning process in a way to transparent. Now, we could argue, and, and there are good arguments to be made, that we've, we've made progress towards that. I mean, there's been a lot of work done in schools around sharing learning goals with students, uh, sharing learning outcomes so that they can track their own progress towards that, even involving students in determining their own goals and outcomes. All of that is part of what we're talking about here. But the essential thing is that we're creating a transparency and representing what that learning is and how it can be accessed and so forth in a way that's not dependent on the physical buildings. And if you think about it, you see, the physical buildings, your physical structure of learning spaces and schools determine a lot of the ways in which we think about teaching and learning happening. The fact that we've got classrooms within which we can only have groups of certain sizes, we allocate a teacher to work with those groups, we have a start and a finish time to what happens in those spaces. All of these things are kind of, we, we can be liberated from those things when we think about how we make teaching and learning happen independently. Now, having done that, and of course the online spaces is the obvious place to represent all of that, it doesn't mean to say we're moving to online learning. It just simply says that's how we're representing it. So when we're in school, that online stuff becomes the reference point. We can go there to find out what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How are we supposed to do it? Who will we report to? Where's the support coming from? Where's the learning content? It's all there to map our own pathway. Now, that part is no surprise to a heap of teachers in New Zealand and other places that are already doing that. We've got teachers around the place who, for instance, are using environments like Microsoft's OneNote or Teams or Google Google Classroom, Hapra, these sorts of environments where they, they create that mid-ground, right? And it means that a student at school or at home can access their learning. Now, that's, that's really, hybrid learning is, is no more than taking that on board But thinking about it much more strategically, thinking about it from the perspective of the whole school and thinking about it, and this is probably my one little point to press, and it's thinking about it from the user experience. Because if you think about at school, so much of the way we represent learning in our classrooms and our schools and things is from the, from the point of view of the teacher. You go into a classroom and it exudes that teacher's personality, exudes that you walk into the classroom next door and it exudes the next teacher's thing. Now, I don't want to squash that because teacher enthusiasm and personality is an important part of that. But from the point of view of the experience we want to give learners, we do need to have some level of coherence and consistency to that so that 
there's a you know if I want to go and find some help or I need to seek what information is there about the resources I need there's kind of some level of uniformity in that that superstructure just like there is some uniformity in the superstructure of a school then within that we get the expression of the the individual teachers and the actors and, and the whole thing you've touched on this but I just wanted to see if there was anything else in terms of how can hybrid learning ensure that no akonga is left behind no student no learner is left behind that's a great question. It's kind of a definitive way of asking that question in a way, as if we're having to prove that this will do it when something else doesn't and all that something. But I think there are two, two responses I make to that question, really. is One is, what we have at the moment isn't working for all Akonga anyway. Right? And we see that in the literature and in the in the, the stats around student failure and all things. So we know that we've got to explore other ways of working. And this, I believe, has many of the characteristics that are being recommended for how we do address the, the needs of many learners who at the moment are left out or disenfranchised. A case in point, or a couple of things, I mean, the case in point around the involvement of parents and whanau. If there's a... that if we create the level of transparency around what is learned, why it's learned, and if we truly learner-centric so that that representation has the characteristics that make it both appealing to them but where they can see themselves in it. And by that I mean, you know, the use of cultural iconography, the use of language, the use of all that something that, that actually makes people think, oh, yeah, this is, this is a place for me as it is for someone else. So there's, there's that whole side of it, I believe. The other side of it, of course, is that when you move into this sort of environment and you, you are able to work in a way that lets you reflect more, lets you rewind things more, lets you double check and lets your support people who are with you do the same thing, then that's another powerful way of ensuring that many of those learners who are currently not finding it successful for them in, in the current system can be addressed. So there's no silver bullet here, but... In our design thinking around how we would establish a hybrid learning model, we've got the opportunity to call on everything we know through processes like universal design for learning, for example, to ensure everything is designed in such a way that it's not just lumped into a one-size-fits-all. And at the other end, that we take into account everything we understand about culturally responsive practice, and we apply those understandings in the design that we're putting together. I really liked your point also of involving Fano and community and obviously that can do with all students in terms of seeing themselves in this school but also I was thinking about my uh, Tamamatamua, he had a titiriti assignment to do and he was encouraged to actually read it and share it with us and it wasn't that we were to do the work, we were just to offer him a little bit of feedback um, which was great because isn't that what we do in the real world? Like I don't think I've ever worked in a work environment where I've written something, it's absolutely brilliant, and then I haven't asked anyone for their feedback. That just isn't what happens. You you encourage and you often show two or three people. So it was really great because my husband and I, we could offer him a few other resources. We said, you know, you've got some great resources there, but also I think it's the Toby Morris book. That's really great in terms of the comic book where I'd sort of said, read this and so he got all excited about that 
and then he could reincorporate that. And again, it's it's moving away from, I remember in primary school, I'd often get examples of my son's work right at the end of the year when they were leaving. And I was like, oh, well, there's no point. <laughs> like, hit their sample book where it was like, oh, well, they're finished that year. <laughs> and it's hybrid seems more about keeping in touch on a regular basis to me. Would you say that's true? Well, yes. I, I mean, I, I don't know that that's necessarily unique to our concept of hybrid, but you know, hybrid as an approach, it's a strategic approach that is borrowing from a range of ways that we, we've worked in the past. And what you're describing uh, is so typical, isn't it, in many educational instances. And it just reminds us that actually it's the learning process that needs to be engaged with throughout. It's not the judgment that's made on the final artifact that counts. And if we can build that much more into our learning design process so that those opportunities for, for sharing and feedback and response and adapting and editing along the way are all valued part of the learning experience rather than just something you have to do in order to tart up the thing you finally hand in, then great. And if we can, if we can amplify that within the way that we think about hybrid approaches, then all the better. Can you share an example of hybrid learning? Well, I think in some ways there are lots of examples already there, but I'll give you some some thoughts. I mean, if you go into the world of early childhood, there are some brilliant things happening there already that to me kind of get close to that. Like most early childhood centres that are operating really effectively that I've encountered uh, make great use of things like learning journals and learning stories. There's a great level of engagement with ensuring that those moments of learning are captured through a child's experience. Now, many early uh, year centres have, have moved to using some sort of online environment to make that a much more expedient way of sharing with parents. So it's not up to them coming in every now and again and picking up the fold and looking at it the, uh, in, in the centre. They can see it online. And many of those environments have the mechanism for feedback to be offered by parents and whanau and, and so forth. So in a way, those centres that are operating like that are already at that touch point of what I would see hybrid learning being about. And so for them, it's just a matter of systematizing that a little bit more to ensure that all teachers are doing that same thing consistently, all Fano are understanding, you know, the protocols and, and things around that. And so that this it, it enables that seamless transition because the test in that case is if that young preschooler has to self-isolate with their Fano for 10 days or 12, 14 days, whatever it's going to be, that they can carry on doing those things that are recognised as learning and have them recorded in that environment, whether they're at home or at school. There's a continuity. That would be in, a, in an early years environment. I'm working with a secondary school at the moment that's taking an incredibly courageous move here because they've looked at the context of their community, uh, their Fano groups that are uh, contributing and also, and they realised last year that what the situation might be like this year. And so they've actually taken a, a decision to move quite boldly to becoming a hybrid school. Now, they had a lot of the technology in place. They were very familiar and all staff were using uh, an online environment to put course notes and content and this sort of thing. They had students using devices. They're a 
a lower decile area, but they'd, they'd already had uh, engagement through philanthropics and others to, to create the opportunity for these kids to have their gear. So a lot of the, the things were in place that enabled them to do this. Right now, they're making the steps to take all of their planning, the stuff that they do, and put it up into an online environment that can be seen as the school as a whole, not just the separate classrooms and or departments and what they're doing, and give a representation of that. And we've worked to make sure that at least at the top level, there's some level of conformity or uniformity to, to headings and titles and things that are used that make the navigation into that so much more consistent and, and coherent. Once they're in those areas, there's wonderful things happening in, you know, that represent what each teacher's doing. But the, the advantage for that community is going to be that if they have students who have to self-isolate, those students have got that online point of reference now. They're not dependent on being in the physical classroom to ask the teacher all the time what's happening. And so those that planning, those instructions are up online now as short video clips. They're also in written form. They're in diagrammatic form. You know, we're exploiting the UDL thinking here about multiple ways of, of representing that. Uh, but it, the hope is and the designers that a student if they suddenly find oh tomorrow I've got to stay at home for the next 10 days that that project and the group that they are working with on that project can just continue at home we don't have to suddenly think oh now they're at home we've got to go into a remote learning here's the stuff to do at home type of thing all right but the other side of that is for teachers because teachers are not going to be immune either and so a teacher who starts, or if they're planning, if that's working, and we're trying as much as possible to have teachers working in teams on this, but if that transparency exists, then more, more than just that one teacher has access and understanding about how that holds together and contribute. So that teacher may have to self-isolate if they're still able to work at home. They can. If they have to self-isolate because they actually have COVID and they're unable to teach, then their load can be picked up by others because that transparency exists. And then you've kind of kind of got the glue factor. So one of the things that we've played with at that particular school is saying, well, in terms of creating the experience of school, and the this school has a very a strong commitment to tell Māori, to, they've got a very large number of Māori students, and so the cultural norms of starting the day with karakia and all that sort of thing are, are established. And so we're exploring saying, well, okay, why don't we start the day with a school assembly that is broadcast so that those kids at home can sit and their whanau and others can sit there. We can have karakia, we can have the little notices for the day and it sets everybody up whether they're at home or at, at school. Right? And so we're exploring those things. So it's not having to stand up and be an instructor, but it's saying what are those things that are the glue that bind us together as a, as a community of learners? So that's, that's a couple of quick examples. Oh, kia ora, kamotawehi. Thank you so much for your time, the kōrero and the ideas. And I look forward to talking to you again. Kia ora, thanks Rochelle, my pleasure. You've been listening to a core education podcast, pushing the boundaries of educational possibilities. Te nā rā koutou.